Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here it is. Uh, Monday, June 28th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Just a couple more episodes here in the month of June before we get to July and get this NHL offseason moving. It's been, it seems like it's taking an eternity because normally by this time, as you're closing up on June 30th, that's when all contracts for the NHL contract year usually expire, but uh, not this year. And things will be pushing into July, but we do have a Stanley Cup final. We have some news to get to in this episode. And let's start here with the Seattle Kraken. Naming their head coach, uh, Rick Tockett, had several in-person interviews of late. There was a lot of conjecture that it looked like he was going to get the offer to be the coach of the Seattle Kraken. Some other names popped up on that list. A couple other former Flyer-connected guys as well in Kevin Deneen and some others. Uh, but all said and done, it is a Flyer connection, and it's Dave Hackstall, the new coach of the Seattle Kraken, the first coach of the Seattle Kraken. And it really blindsided a lot of people. And Flyer fans, uh, especially, uh, considering how he was perceived here in Philadelphia. And uh, he spent this last year as an assistant coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, is getting back behind the bench as a head coach. I will tell you, despite how he is thought of here in Philadelphia and his tenure was here in Philadelphia, um, the, the fan base was harsh on on Hackstall. And he had a flawed roster the entire time he was here, but he is thought of well in hockey circles. As a good coach, he had a really good collegiate career as a head coach. Uh, the Flyers was his first NHL gig, and a lot of times some of the mistakes you make in your first gig, you don't make again. Um, and maybe that's what Ron Francis and the Seattle Kraken are banking on, uh, but he is the next head coach or the first head coach of the Kraken, shocking the hockey world and a lot of people, especially obviously here in Philadelphia. So congrats to Dave Haxtall, and we'll see how he does uh, with the Kraken in their debut season coming up uh, in just a little while. Now, some people are asking too, does that change who the Seattle Kraken take from the Flyers because of that familiarity Dave Haxtall has with a lot of the players here? And you know, one of the guys that was brought up to me on, on Twitter, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the guy who tweeted it to me, but said, uh, well, there goes any chance Seattle's going to take Shane Goss to spare. Um, I, I don't know of any uh, relationship issues between Dave Haxtall and Shane Goss to spare. Uh, I know that Shane did have some issues with uh, uh, a couple of the Flyers' assistant coaches, Gord Murphy and uh, Rick Wilson, uh, who ran the defense for the Flyers during Dave Haxtall's era. But I don't know of anything specifically between Haxtall and Gossespierre. And if you look at Gossespierre's best years, they were with Dave Haxtall. Um, I don't know that that really does change a whole heck of a lot, to be honest with you. Uh, but uh, I think Ghost is one of the guys that could be selected by Seattle in the expansion draft. I think um, James Van Riemsdyk is a very logical one. Bill Meltzer has been on and explained this before. Uh, James has two years left on his contract at 7 mil per AAV. Now, that's the AAV. That's not the cash. So that's an attractive thing to a team that has to get A to the salary floor and B, uh, that doesn't want to pay out the cash. He's not getting paid $14 million for the next two years. It's less than that because the contract was front-loaded cash-wise, just the average annual value is seven per so it helps the seattle kraken get to the floor and it's not seven million per out of their pocketbook so uh, that's a reason why james van reams like could that be that guy could jake voracek be that guy we shall see so uh, i don't know that it changes a whole heck of a lot uh, we'll never know if he changes a whole heck of a lot but uh we shall see uh how that plays out and we're getting closer to that date the nhl critical dates uh once the cup is handed out 
uh, will be uh, fast and furious. And this is going to be a very frenetic NHL offseason that's going to kick off and probably just a little less than two weeks at this point. Cup final starting tonight uh, between the Tampa Bay Lightning, who survived Game 7, get a shutout from Andre Vasilevsky. How about him getting a shutout in all three of the clinching games in the first three rounds of the playoffs? Boy, it's, it, it's, a t- it's tough to win, or it's really difficult to lose when you don't give up a goal. And Tampa Bay uh, has what, you know, they win the Cup last year, but they have the four things that you need to win the Cup. You need these four things to win the Cup. In today's NHL, 31 teams, soon to be 32, starting next year. There's more teams than ever. Parity in the league is more rampant than it's ever been. It's more difficult uh, to get through the playoffs, to get into the playoffs, all of those things, because there's so many more teams now, and the salary cap, and managing of that cap, and uh, sometimes y- you pay a player when he careers it in a contract year, and then it doesn't work out for you. He can't do that. He can't duplicate it. So you have to have a little bit of luck in there as well. Some teams, I believe, like Tampa, uh, like Las Vegas, like Dallas, do have an advantage because they don't have income tax in their state. So I think that is an advantage. But with that being said, um, Tampa has what the four boxes you need to check to win a Stanley Cup. And they are as follows. You need to have really good players that get it done in the playoffs. Guys like Nikita Kucherov. Guys like Braden Point. Guys like, uh, you know, some of the best players they have. Even down the lineup, you have to have depth. That's the number two thing you have to have. You have to have extreme depth, and they do. Palat, Kalorn, it goes on and on. you got to have a great defense, and you need to have a stud defender. That's number three. They've got, I think, one of the best hockey players in the world, just flat-out hockey players, in Victor Hedman. They have a great defense. And then number four, you got to have incredible goaltending. They've got that. They get that year in and year out with Andre Vasilevsky. Now, when he first came into the league, he wasn't that. He was behind Ben Bishop. It took him a little bit of time. But he's an elite, probably the best goalie in the league right now. And just because his regular seasons are better than Carey Price's at this point. Price is still the most baffling goaltender to shooters and would-be scorers. But Vasilevsky is probably the best goaltender in the NHL right now. And what a matchup that's going to be in the final. Vasilevsky versus Price. But Tampa checks all of those boxes. Extremely difficult to play against when they have that kind of depth and and they're able to roll out what they can roll out. So uh, the final, Tampa Bay against the Montreal Canadiens. Somebody pointed out to me on Twitter that if the cup gets handed out in Montreal, whether Montreal wins it or Tampa wins it, uh, it would be two years in a row that the cup was handed out in Canada, which is pretty crazy. Uh, But the Canadiens, I think they're alive here. Uh, They're plus 200 on the Vegas odds to win the cup. Um, so I think that this is a team that, boy, if you want to just assume that they're going to lose, I think that's a bad assumption. I'm not saying they're going to win the cup, but Carey Price is so good, and that D does such a good job in front of him at keeping his area where he's sight lines, all those things, clean. You do not see guys taking away Carey, Carey Price's space because his defense Make sure that if you come to that area, you pay a price. And Carey Price still, even though his regular seasons have not been that great, he is still an absolutely elite goaltender. And he's a big reason why they are where they are, but he's not the only reason. 
When in that Vegas series, other than maybe game six, I don't know that he stole a game. Montreal outplayed Vegas. Montreal clearly outplayed a depleted Winnipeg team. Montreal, after being down three games to one against Toronto, outplayed them. So this isn't just all about Carey Price. He's a huge part of the equation. If they're going to win the Cup, he's going to have to be great, especially against this Tampa team. But, I mean, they haven't given up a power play goal to the opposition since Game 5 of the Toronto series. They're on a streak that dates back to the 1930s of consecutive penalties killed in the playoffs. So they're they're a live team in this series, and I'm very much looking forward to this final. And uh, hopefully it goes deep. Hopefully it's a great Stanley Cup final. And frankly, you know, Tampa's a great team, and they won a cup last year. Uh, But And I don't cheer for anybody. I just want to see a great final. But it would be good for hockey if if the Montreal Canadiens won it. Because we just talked about parity, right? You know, they're a team that finished one point ahead of the Flyers in the standings last year. One point. They had the 18th best record in the league. Yet they found their way to the Stanley Cup final. That's what's great about the the NHL is if you get hot, healthy, some matchups favor you along the way, then you can go on a magical run. But like I said, it is harder now to do that than it's ever been in the Stanley Cup and in the NHL. 32 teams next year. It's not easy. You you don't get your picks coming around round after round the way it used to be when there was 22 teams. And, you know before we got to this pretty incredible number of 32 NHL teams. And it, it takes a lot to win. And the, the one thing I left out of that equation, the four things that you need to have to win the Cup, you need a little luck. You, frankly, you need a little luck. And sometimes that can make the difference. And I think it's going to be a fascinating final. And I think it's going to be fascinating once the Cup's handed out because then the business of the NHL will commence. Well, expansion draft coming. First, it's going to be on the 17th. Uh, the protected lists of each team and who they're protecting and who they're not protecting. And that's always a very interesting time because you go, oh, my God, they're not protecting that guy. Maybe he's available. You start to get some insight. It'll be silly season. There'll be a lot of crazy stuff going on. as That's already begun. Uh, but uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating offseason expansion draft, NHL draft, and free agency. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, we're going to be busy over the next couple of months. And this week I'm going to be talking with a couple of the Flyers scouts as well, which I think will be fascinating discussion as well. We talked to them last year and leading into this draft, I think it's going to be a whole different ball, a whole different ball game uh, because some leagues played, some did not. But we're going to get to some Twitter questions because uh, I was camping for the weekend. There wasn't a lot going on in Flyerland. So I figured we'd turn it over to the people once again. And Bandit Max starts us off on Twitter and he says, who's going to be a Kraken? If I'm betting Bandit Max... I'll give you three guys in the order I think of the likelihood of them being taken. James Van Riemsdyk, Shane Gostisbehere, Jake Voracek. That's my answer. Uh, Michael Finn tweets in and says, here you go. He says, chance to help plug the Stick to F1 podcast. That's my new Formula One podcast. I do with uh, Anthony Mangione, who also covers the Flyers. A couple of hockey guys talking Formula One. Uh, but he said, will the Flyers win a Stanley Cup before any other team than Mercedes or Red Bull win the F1 Constructors title? Um, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's a tough, tough question, but uh, I did get a chance to plug the podcast. Um, Cover the Earth before it covers you tweets, and he says, what does your shopping list look like this offseason? Once we know who Seattle takes, uh, it's a little clearer where another hole might be and what our cap situation is right now, but it must be a top pair right-handed D. Backup for heart, grit size forward. All three of those things, yes. 
I agree. They, they need all three of those. And I would add one more thing, uh, because if, if the Seattle takes a James Van Riemsdyk or a Jake Voracek, then you also have to replace some points. Um, and you got to get a score, a guy like uh, Matt Hoffman in free agency, I think would fit that bill uh, pretty well. So, uh, and, and the guy went on to say with his tweet as well, he said, losing JVR Jake does create cap, uh, but leaves a big hole. Losing Nicholas Albay-Kubel does not create much of a hole, but also doesn't much cap relief. So if we lose Jake or JVR, who do you think realistically we go after? Maybe Ghost is best case to lose the Seattle Thoughts. So, uh, look, I think there's a, it's an interesting free agent class. You know, Taylor Hall's available again, but he's not, the Flyers aren't going to sign Taylor Hall. Um, I, I look at guys like Ryan Nugent Hopkins. What's Edmonton going to do? He's an interesting one for me as well. 28 years old, can play center and play wing. Uh, that's an interesting one pending the future of Nolan Patrick. Gabriel Landeskog, I don't think that there's any way that Colorado uh, doesn't do everything they can to sign him. He's been their captain for a long time, since I think he was 18 or 19. He was the youngest captain in the league. Some guys that, you know, they're not knock-your-socks-off guys, but I think Jaden Schwartz is a guy um, that's a UFA that the Flyers will look at from the former St. Louis Blue. Well, we don't know. Maybe it's not former St. Louis Blue. Maybe he resigns there. Uh, but Jaden Schwartz is one of those guys. Uh, Kyle Palmari, uh, who was traded from the Devils to uh, the New York Islanders, is an interesting one. He's only 30. I thought he was older than that, but he's not. So that's a guy I think you could look at. Uh, so I think there's some guys out there. Um, again, I mentioned Mike Hoffman. He's 31, but he's a scorer. He's not a guy that's going to, at this point in his career, wow you. Uh, he can get 30 goals, and he could be a really big help on the power play. You know, Phil Deneau's a guy that's interesting. Not a score, a shutdown guy, and I don't know. I mean, I feel like the Flyers have enough of that, so I don't know that Deneau's a guy that is worth considering for the Flyers. Uh, Zach Hyman's an interesting guy from Toronto as maybe a, you know a third-line uh, player for the Flyers. That's an interesting one, but uh, there's some guys available, but I think more of the impactful things will happen via the trade market to send money out to bring money in if that makes sense. I think I kind of explained that uh, on a podcast prior, uh, why it's not just as simple as signing Dougie Hamilton, although I love Dougie Hamilton. Uh, Nelson Haas tweets in and says, Hi, Jason, love the pod. Thank you. Uh, could you see a situation where Giroux and Coots swap contracts? It makes sense to me. So they're both contracts are up after this year. So basically, Couturier would become the eight and a quarter million dollar contract moving forward and drew become the 4.3 or four and a half million dollar contract yeah i could see a scenario like that that it does make sense that 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 would be the case um let's get this down and dirty with this podcast mr 23 tweets in and says has anyone in the leadership group admitted to how soft this team is and has been for the past five years? Current cup and semifinal teams are much tougher to play against than the Flyers. I'm not going to dodge any questions here. Um, no, of course, they haven't uh, done anything publicly and said that. Uh, but I think that, and, and I talked to some players off the record, uh, I think that they know that they need some more grit and they need some accountability to the opposition. I absolutely think that. Uh, I think they are keenly aware that when Oscar Lindblom had to drop the gloves, that they need some guys that can do that that aren't Oscar Lindblom. And you are absolutely correct, Mr. 23. The current Cup and semifinal teams, the Islanders, the Lightning. I mean, they, the Lightning went out and got three guys. Barkley Goodrow. Uh, they went out and got Pat Maroon. You look at a team like Vegas, who's got a guy like Ryan Reeves, you know, even though he didn't play in the final two games of that series. Uh, they got guys out there. I mean, some of those guys on... 
on Montreal, a guy like Brendan Gallagher, who is just an animal, there's accountability on the ice. Not that he's a huge guy, but he's obviously a guy that yaps a lot, but is plays his rear end off. Uh, Drew Moff tweets in and says, I know the offseason will have a lot of movement, but will it be a lot of movement in the beginning or drag out like baseball's offseason? Also, who are you going with to win the Cup? Will be great for the NHL for the Habs to win. Uh, look, I don't think things are going to happen right away, like at the expansion draft, because I think a lot of guys are going to wait to sign until after the expansion draft so the team they're signing with does not have to protect them. So I think that's going to be part of the equation. But I think once we get beyond the expansion draft and we get around the NHL draft, I think that's when some action is really going to start to take place. And then obviously free agency, uh, you know, just thereafter will will heat things up as well. As far as who I think is going to win the cup, I mean, it's just so easy to say Tampa because they are the superior team. They're a great team. They won it last year and they're playing great. Um, but but I'm, I, I got a soft spot for this Canadians team and I, I want to see them win the cup. Uh, Flyers' chance of winning the Cup before 2025. As I mentioned before, Ed, uh, I don't know. You need a little luck, and they got to have key key components within a roster to win. It's not easy to win anymore. This isn't uh, the 1980s where the Flyers could just spend their way to get to a Cup final. Uh, it doesn't work like that anymore. You you got to have some luck in your drafting. You got to put yourself in a good position, and you got to have players develop. You got to have players uh, be accountable. You have to have coaches pushing the right buttons. It takes a lot of things with 32 teams and the amount of parity that is in this game. It really does. you you got to hit on those four things I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Uh, Flyer Llama says, uh, what second-tier free agents could you see the fl- with the Flyers? Savard, Barry, Tyson Barry, Casey Sezikis, or Brandon Montour? Um, I don't think Sezikis is going to end up leaving uh, the Islanders. He could. He just fits there. It seems like it works. That that fourth line is great with Matt Martin and and a guy like Cal Clutterbuck and Casey Zekas. But uh, Savard, possibly. But again, this all depends. The trickle-down effect, what's the big move? What did you lose in the acquisition cost for the big move? And how does it affect your cap? So this is really hard to predict. Um, I like a guy like Savard. You know, there's another guy I would keep an eye on, and that's Rasmus Ristolainen from the Buffalo Sabres. He's a guy I think the Flyers like, and he brings a, a a lot of toughness, a lot of grit, a lot of accountability, uh, plays a little bit on that line, and I think that's a guy maybe to keep an eye on as well. Uh, Anthony Giampolo says, uh, what under the, radar, under the radar free agent will, the, will be the Toffoli signing of next year? Of course, Tyler Toffoli signed this past offseason from Vancouver to Montreal. Won a couple of cups in L.A., had a great regular season, has been a big part of this team in the playoffs for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, who's going to be that signing for the Flyers? I, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know that there's a guy out there like that that has that kind of pedigree of winning two cups as well. That's that's part of what came with Toffoli. It was a great move for Mark Bergevin. And by the way, uh, I saw you know some people being critical of Mark Bergevin and his outward display of emotion when the Montreal Canadiens won that game six in overtime. Bravo. We need more of that. Be a human. You don't need to be a robot. It's hard to get to a final. Mark Bergevin exploded with joy because they got to the final. They haven't won the Cup since 1993, the Montreal Canadiens. They have more Cups than anybody. They haven't won since 1993. They haven't gotten to the Cup since 1993. So if you want to explode like that, I'm all for it. I loved it. I thought it was real. It was authentic. He's hugging players. He's freaking out. 
Good for him. By the way, that team in 1993 for the Canadians that won the Cup, five players on that team also played for the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm going to give you five seconds to try and figure out who the five are. Now, there's five of them that played for the Flyers that were on that team. Of course, we know the one, John LeClaire. We also know that J.J. Daniel, hero, 1987, Game 6 against the Edmonton Oilers with that goal to force a Game 7. He was on that team. Kevin Haller was a defenseman on that team and played for the Flyers as a defender for a couple of years. Eric Desjardins, also on that 93 team. And how about Gilbert Dion was on that team as well. So five former Flyers, Daniel, Haller, that's two, Desjardins, Gilbert Dion, and John LeClaire, all on that 1993 Stanley Cup winning team for the Montreal Canadiens. And they're back in the finals once again. Uh, Let's go to uh, another question here. And Palmyra Pete says, where were you for the cane shot? That's 11 years ago, 2010. Where was I when that happened? I was sitting watching the game with uh, the Flyers PR staff, Joseph Ville and Zach Hill and our crew down there. When, When the game's in overtime, I can't be out like on the concourse to watch it or by the glass or by the Zamboni entrance because if it's sudden death, it ends like that, and then boom, we got to do an interview right away off the ice. Uh, for that one, though, uh, I was in the locker room. NBA 1 is what the locker room's called. It's the visiting NBA locker room. Uh, so when the Flyers go down the tunnel, just when they go underneath the stands, there's a door right there on the right. That's NBA 1. That's where I'm at right in there to do the show. So when they walk a player off the ice, they walk right into that door, step up to me, I interview them, and that's what we do. So that's where I was uh, for the Kane goal. And just like everybody else, um, I didn't know it was in either. We are just kind of like, what is going on here? Then I hung out at the arena on the flyer bench and watched uh, the Chicago Blackhawks and their families on the ice for a couple hours, uh, tipping back a lot of cocktails and uh, admiring the cup. And while I was bummed the Flyers didn't win it, it was a magical ride in 2010. We had a lot of fun uh, during that ride, doing the games and traveling with the team through what happened in New Jersey and then obviously the comeback from down 3 nothing and 3 nothing in Game 7 against uh, the, the Boston Bruins and then heading to Montreal and in the Canadians in, in Game 3 of that uh, conference final in Montreal. All the Flyer players were coming off the ice with skate issues and we somebody rubbed their hand across the carpet in the dressing room and there was sand that came up. And it was getting onto their skate blades, so we had to lay paper down so the players could step on, like, thick paper instead of walking on it. It was a wild scene uh, through that entire run. Unfortunately, it didn't end how uh, all Flyer fans wish it would have, but uh, a great experience and still great to see that trophy uh, being celebrated the way it was, even though it wasn't for the Flyers. Uh, Last question comes from Flyers Eric, and he says, just look into your crystal ball and tell us if Seth Jones will be a Flyer next season and beyond. Well, my crystal ball is foggy because I just don't know. I mean, I'm going to take a guess. I know they're involved in conversations for Seth Jones. And I think this whole thing uh, that Seth Jones is not going to sign an extension with any team unless it's Colorado, I think it's baloney. I think that's posturing and positioning to get a team to pay more in a contract. Uh, I think that's baloney. I think he'd sign a contract in big hockey markets, which Philadelphia is. Um, So... I'll say yes. 
I'll say they trade for Seth Jones, and then they sign him to a seven-year extension. So he'd be here for eight seasons. Final year of this deal, and then the next seven. So hopefully I'm right. Uh, if not, I'm sure Old Takes Exposed will come after me and say that I'm an idiot. Uh, but it wouldn't be the first time. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of Flyers Daily. Enjoy the cup final tonight. Enjoy your hockey, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday's episode of Flyers Daily. You'll take my life, but I'll take yours too. You fire your musket, but I'll run you through. So when you're waiting for the next attack, you better stand.